You know what? Let's just get stuck in without without any formal. It's Wednesday, seventh of April. It's Masters Week, but it's also European Challenge Cup quarter final week. You're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Adam McKendry back in the host chair this week. We've had a whole range of hosts recently. We've had Jonathan taking over. I've had myself taking over. It seems like we're just slowly phasing Gareth out. Um, but no, he <laughs> he will be back. The money mustn't be there. It's, just, it's all about the money, isn't it? <laughs> he was asking too excuse. much. His excuse this week. There's no. Is it Rory McIlroy he's following this week? I mean, there's no Frampton. There's no Northern Ireland football. This is very poor. Is he on holiday? He's he's taking too much time off. That's what it is. Is he on holiday? Do we know? <laughs> he is. He's or off he this. He, he's off this week. All right. So that's that's why, unfortunately, for everyone listening, you're stuck with me. Um, we also have with us Richard Mulligan, fresh off his trip to uh, fresh off his trip to Twickenham Stoop last week. How was it? How was the how was the cold of Richmond? It was actually quite pleasant. Um, it's it, obviously it was my first game um, since the COVID pandemic to actually be at a fixture, and I have to say it, it's a very uh, strange strange situation to be in. I was the only written journalist there, believe it or not. Um, they were outside, so it was interesting. Happy, but look, it was a good. It, it was good to see Ulster playing a game of rugby again, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting up to hopefully Franklin Gardens this weekend as well. And also joining us this week is Michael Sadler. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm grand, Adam. How's it going, Richard? Hello, everyone. Hello, Michael. All good set to, to go again. for another one. There we go. <laughs> another week, another podcast. Richard, I, I have to ask one thing before before we get into the actual game. And I don't know if either of you were concerned about this at all, but see at Twickenham Stoop, anytime either kicker kicked towards the right-hand side, that stand is so dark. I lost sight of the ball as soon as it left the tee. Like, I, I don't know if that was an issue for either of you, but like anytime the ball left the tee, I could not see it. It was bizarre. I have to say there were no lights on in the stand where I was working from. So it was pitch black in that stand, which is fine. Um, I'm not I'm not overly old yet, but um, I did struggle. A yes, wee you bit. are. <laughs> <laughs> I did struggle a wee bit with writing down some notes and, and, and bits and pieces, but they had no lights on in that stand whatsoever. Adam, it's interesting that you picked up on it on the telly. I haven't I haven't watched it on the TV, to be fair. Well, look, I've, I've been to the stoop before. We, we were at the stoop. A couple of years ago, and we did, yeah. yeah, We, I don't remember that being a problem. But then, just watching it on TV on Sunday, I was thinking to myself, I cannot see this ball, and I was wondering if it was my eyesight or if everyone else was struggling. But um, (laughs) that's just a bit of an aside, probably just showing that I'm creeping up in age, which is an issue given (laughs) I'm only 24. Look, plenty, plenty to get through, um, and we will start back at the stoop last week. Um, I'll give you the option, guys, given that we've got about six questions about him. We can either start by discussing Michael Lowry, or we can talk about the match generally first. So where, where will we begin, Lowry or, or the match in general? Will we talk about Lowry first, get it out of the way? All right, we'll talk, we'll talk about Michael Lowry then. Fabulous try, fantastic solo try. Um he got comparisons to Cheslin Colby from Roddy Grant in uh, the media briefing yesterday. Guys, we'll start with a listener question. Ben on Twitter simply asks, how good is Mike Lowry? 
Richard, we'll, we'll start with yourself, given you were there in person. Like, how good was that try to watch in person? Like, were there any sort of reactions in the stadium that were particularly noticeable after the after the try? There was nobody there. Well, this is no, this is this is the thing. Yeah, like live live games, you can hear you know reactions on the sidelines and stuff like that a lot better. I think there were a few oohs and gasps, and I think there was one. There seemed to be one one Ulster Alakadu who maybe had travelled over with the team, had uh, got a bit excited up in the up in the stand behind me. But um, it, it was remarkable because it looked you, you saw the box kick, and you kind of thought, right, there's a box kick, and then Larry gets it, and all of a sudden you're going, holy smoke, where is he? I'm bang, and it just happened so quickly, and he took it so well, and it was a great bit of individual brilliance um, to, to score. I think Jordy Murphy was great afterwards, the way he described it. He just he was standing right behind it, so he had a prime view of it and just said the gas that the wee guy has is unbelievable. Um, let's hope he stays at Ulster for a long time. And and you expect him to. And his stats throughout the day or throughout the night were very, very good overall, you know, and I thought he had a he had a solid game and, and, and there was an opportunity for him to really, you know, put down another marker for himself and he absolutely took it which was very pleasing Michael well what more yep. can you add about uh Michael Larry <laughs> oh not a great deal I suppose the one thing I would say is we, we maybe didn't know just how fast he can go um when I think it was Scott Steele wasn't it he just burnt them we've seen plenty of I suppose uh examples of his skill this season, you know, in stepping his way out of very tight situations and making ground when it doesn't look as if it's possible. But when he got clear, I mean, he only, it was one or two steps. It took him around about two or three. One of them might have been a front row player. So, the, you know, it opened up for him. But the, the pace, the pace he showed, he didn't try to step. He just burnt him on the, uh, on the outside. It was, it was, it was terrific. Really, really good to see. And um, hopefully, hopefully there'll be a lot more of it. Yeah. Kyle Otterson asks on Twitter, given Larry's continued success at fullback, what is the reasoning for pushing him towards the 10 position where he'll have less space to exploit the electric pace he displayed on Sunday evening? Now, for anybody who's listened to the podcast long term, you know that we've discussed that he is the fly half of the future and we know that he played at schools level for inst as 10 and he led them to three schools cups in a row as a 10 but it is a fair point like whenever a guy is playing so well in one position even though you know that his preferred and probably better position long term is 10 why would you move him from fullback yeah i I think we had this discussion last week yeah. too about when we were talking about if you were picking the Ulster team for the game, where would you put Larry if Billy Burns isn't available? Do you go with Madigan? And you, you have you have natural out halves there. And I, I I think Michael Larry, I'm not convinced that he is the fly half of the future. Everybody thinks that, that that's just my own opinion. Um, I think he's he he brings more to the to the game and his game when he's in that fullback role, coming onto the ball. And we've seen it, and you saw it last week with that try, and we've seen it with other tries in the past. He, he, he really does bring something more when he's coming into the line the way he does. And I think Ulster can really utilise that going forwards. Yeah, I'm not sure really. Uh, I mean, he is really more of a natural out half. I suppose his size 
can maybe come into play at being back at 15. But it hasn't so far. He's, he's done exceptionally well. It also gives him, anyone who's playing 15, an opportunity, a little bit more time to do something. Um, but, you know, 10, he is capable of running a game. But absolutely right. I mean, if, if you put him in there, he's not going to show in quite the way he's showing now. So it is a bit of a dilemma what, what they, they, they do with him, particularly if, if they, in some point, go down the let's try Jacob again at 15 line uh, and with Billy Burns available, where on earth do they put Michael Lowry? Um, hopefully it'll not come to that because, you know, if Jacob got slotted in at 15 again, it, be, it might be an Andy Farrell call, even with Hugo Keenan's emergence. You just don't know. Hard to say, isn't it? You know, he, he, he's just an exceptionally, exceptionally good player. I just hope that they find somewhere to bet him in and, and give him regular rugby, which seems to be 15. And you know as well now, you're, you're confident he's going to take a high ball. You're, you're confident that he's going to, you know, maybe make the tackle. In certain instances, maybe his lack of physicality is going to go against him there. But I, I, you know, I haven't seen it too much. I'm sure you'd agree, Richard. He, he looks, he, he just looks seamless to have seamlessly slotted in at 15. Yep. The size thing does. I mean, I avoided mentioning the size because I think he has shown that size doesn't matter in this case for him. And I think you mentioned about Stockdale at fullback. I, I think we've seen that experiment to a degree, and I think. Jacob Stockdale plays fullback, it's because there is absolutely nobody else available in mm-hmm. the green shirts to play fullback on a particular given day. And I think Jacob needs to be playing on the wing. That's his position. Um, it's a pity, I suppose, in many respects, that we don't have Ireland A matches to look forward to where you could maybe see the likes of some of the the guys in the periphery coming through where you could see Michael Lurie, let's put him in a green shirt in an, in an Ireland A game and see what he's like at that level because the step up to that level is it's still big but I agree with what what Michael's saying there I mean you would be very very confident with Michael Lurie starting in your team probably at 10 even um, I think if you think back to the was it his debut in Europe when he dropped the first was the Leicester Tigers we were playing in, in, in the Kingspan mm-hmm. he dropped the first ball and we all went oh no, this could be a nightmare for him. And he simply shook himself down. And the next high ball that came in, he went bang. And eventually Leicester said, right, we're not putting the high ball up there anymore. Yeah, because they were, they were targeting him with practically every kick in the first 10 minutes. And after he dropped the first one, you're absolutely right. You thought that that was that. But to consider where he's come from since then, like it, there's still an outside chance that Ireland tour this summer during the British and Irish Lions tour. Now, it's obviously COVID permitting and we don't know what's going to happen a few months down the line, given that everything changes on a day-to-day basis. But if Ireland toured this summer, surely that would be the perfect time to bed him in for the first time to the international setup. I mean, his performances surely deserve it at this stage. Absolutely agree. Um, And you would like to think if Ireland were to tour this time around that they... You, you take a handful of experience with you, but you, you do go fairly inexperienced and, and let these guys experience the, the international scene for, for, for what it is and what's required. And I mean, yes, who the opposition might be and all that there, you don't know yet. Um, so I think even, even sevens rugby, I would love to see Michael Harry playing in the sevens just to see what he's like compared to some of the other guys there with that gas and his skill set that he already has, you know. I would love to see him in a sevens competition just to see how he would go. 
at international sevens, I should say. Yeah, I was going to say they had the provincial sevens, so <laughs> he could have had that chance, but they opted not to give him that. Looking at the game as a whole, then, if we move on from the Michael Lowry chat, what did we, what did we make of it? Obviously, eight tries to three, 57 21, 36 point spread. How do you look back on this game, given how lopsided the scoreline was? Because this is, this is what I put to the players in the media briefing. What what can you actually take from a game that was so one-sided? I think for me, this was... There was a lot of chat last week about this is the Challenge Cup. It's the second tier in Europe. We've got to get away from, from that. I mean, look, it's a fact. Ulster are playing in the Challenge Cup. There is a trophy to be won at the end of this. And Ulster haven't had a lot of silverware success. I mean, Adam, you, you, you've never been to a game where Ulster have actually lifted a trophy. Never, whereas not I, once. Whereas, whereas I've been at the previous three, you know, so at least I'm lucky in that sense. Share them um, right. This was about, for me, this was about Ulster showing focus and they went out. Yes, Harlequins fielded an understrength side, as we kind of thought they might do. Ulster kept their focus throughout the game. This was a knockout <clears> match. They played, I thought, some brutal, ruthless rugby, and they put Harlequins to the sword with consummate ease. Uh, one of the big things for me was just as the clock went red, Billy Burns caught the ball, and you could have went again, but Billy Burns popped it into touch. It's knockout rugby. And the most pleasing factor was then Ulster came out with the game over. Ulster came out in the second half with the same intensity and finished it off. And that was the most important factor to me was that they didn't switch off and they need to have exactly that same focus and determination when they go into the game this weekend. But I was really pleased with the way Ulster negotiated the whole thing, their attitude, their focus, everything. This is a team who I think are chasing a trophy and that showed through on Sunday night. Yeah, Michael, the... The spread before the game, I think, was 13 points in Ulster's favour. And, yeah, we saw they ended up winning 57-21. I mean, how, how impressed were you by how ruthless and clinical Ulster were? Yeah, I mean, they were, as you say, ruthless and clinical. Uh, my concern would be undoubtedly one which they would hold as well, uh, is that they're not... They've got to this stage now without really being put to the test by any opposition any time, particularly recently... Uh, if you remember the post-match from the Zebra game where they virtually put 50 on them and Dan was asked, what did you learn from that? And he said, initially said, well, nothing before he caught himself on. Um, look, I don't think they learned very much from that game. I think that it was a great win and all that because you can only play what's in front of you, can't you? But um, I don't know that that's going to really equip them adequately going forward. I think they needed something far more competitive. Um, they haven't had it. They had, didn't have it against Zebra. Um, you might argue they didn't really have it against Dragons, or Dragons did come back at them. So they're playing these games, they're winning them, and they're not being tested. Um, and anyone who knows who's ever even played rugby at any level knows that easy wins are great, but you only really find out about yourself when you're tested and when you have to dig that bit deeper and find something else than just simply, I'll tell you what, let's run it back at them or let's go to the corner, we're going to score. Um, that would be mine. Now, it's not a half, it's not a glass sort of half full, half empty argument here. It's just that I'm a wee bit concerned that that game was 
just a fiasco, really, in, in regards to the quality of opposition they had in front of them. Hopefully that will not in any way detract from what they can do at Franklin's Gardens. And we all kind of half expect Northampton to, to pick a stronger team than Harlequins put out and that they themselves might have more interest in this competition. But again, we don't know that for sure at this stage. But you'd like to think that I'm not devaluing the win. The win's a win, and it was a big win, and you know they, they, they scored tries for fun. But my only concern would be that this isn't really... Um, this isn't really testing them in what you think might be the environment they need to be in to potentially go on and, and win the trophy. And let's be honest, we know that it's opening up for them to potentially do that, and they know that as well. So hopefully, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll perform well at, at the Saints, and if they are put under the cosh at the Saints, they'll be able to come out with something as opposed to what we've seen recently in, in their rather, shall we say, easy results. Yeah, that would be one of the concerns I would have had, Michael, was going forward that you could end up being flat a bit this week. Um, yeah. It was too easy. It was too easy last weekend. Yes, you went through your structures and your and your bits and pieces that you had planned and you saw some good set-piece moves coming off in the driving mall. And, and obviously, Ulster didn't hold anything back. So Saints know exactly what they are going to get at Franklin's Gardens this weekend. And I agree with you, Michael. I think Northampton will feel stronger they they've had different issues from they have an appalling injury list but certainly mm. from listening to Phil, their forwards coach Phil Dawson yesterday I mean they see this competition as being like Ulster it's an opportunity for them to win it and, it and it'll be the third time Northampton Saints will have won it if they win it this time around so and I know that they have the premiership in the back of their minds too but I think realistically they can see themselves as being Challenge Cup winners yet again yeah, which means that uh, what we're going to get potentially now on Saturday evening is a full-on competitive cup tie, which is what yes. we, we as, as, as people covering it and people watching it, really want to see. And hopefully we'll test Ulster and Ulster will find something, something within them that they can get over this hurdle. Because once they get into the semi-final, well, you know, it, you, know you, you, you really are then, you're, you're, you're getting so close, aren't you, to having a real, a real shot at this? Well, I don't know about you guys, but I enjoyed not having to change my match report in the last five minutes. So a nice blowout <laughs> win would be quite would be quite nice, to be honest. Um, I am I am just looking because it, you made an interesting point there about uh, Saints wanting to or seeing this as a as a chance to win silver. Where and we, we've talked about Ulster's trophies, right? Saints haven't won a trophy since twenty fourteen, whenever they did the the Premiership and Challenge Cup double. So for them, they haven't won a trophy in seven years, which, look, maybe, maybe they consider that a drought, maybe they don't. But it's interesting to hear from Phil Dyson that they they consider this as a trophy that they really want to win, you know, to get some silverware back in the trophy cabinet. It does sort of set it up as kind of a, a good clash between two teams who really want to lift a trophy at the end of the season. Sorry, there was no question at the end of that. I just kind of ended on it. It was just a statement, <laughs> was it? Yeah, that was a statement. Yeah. Right, okay. I think my question to Robbie Grant yesterday, which was actually a question, but he kind of looked at me and went, uh, yeah, agreed, but uh, left me hanging. Yes, Adam, you're 100% right. I think both Northampton and Ulster are very similar kind of uh, clubs. Um, there's a lot of community togetherness there. And Northampton will see this as, um, as an opportunity to... To, to win silverware 
even though they do have their their hands still in the Premiership to a degree, Ulster have have missed out. And you know, you look back, there was no Pro 14 playoffs. Ulster against Munster. How would they have gone away at Munster? Would they have got to the final again? We saw them in the final last year. That comes to close. And for me, this is about Ulster making a statement saying, look, you know, we've talked about missing out in playoffs this year. We've we've lost in finals before. We need to take our learnings. I mean, many times we say we need to take our learnings from this. This is an opportunity for Ulster to make a huge statement. Um, it's not about a springboard for the future, but I think just the, if this group can experience winning together in a final, then this can move them forward to a stronger place. Um, I mean, you look at the quarterfinal lineup, you know, Montpellier are still in there. You know, th there's a lot of good sides, as we talked about it last week. The cream usually comes to the top when it comes to the quarterfinal stages in the Challenge Cup, and it certainly has. And there's a very strong English an English feel to it there. And if you end up playing Montpellier in the, in the semi-final, it's really going to put a big question mark as to just, can you win this competition? Going away to Montpellier would not be an easy game. See, How about London Irish? <laughs> well, the headline's thing was there. there. <laughs> That's another one. It's, it's, it's scripted, isn't it? It is scripted down the line. You would love to see it as a final, I think, rather than a semi-final, given the baggage. But I think at the end of the day, but I, I think London Irish... You they're know, a wet bath, they, aren't they? They, mm -hmm. they're, playing, they're playing Bath, which is an interesting one. Um, and probably Bath are the side that I think could be the big surprise package in this competition because they have absolutely nothing else to play for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It could really be the surprise package in this. I think Ulster, if, if you looked at the London Irish game, which was another bonkers game of rugby on Friday evening, <laughs> a great way to kick the weekend off, to be fair. Um, I think Ulster would feel fairly confident home or away against um, London Irish. But I think Bath, I, I think Bath could be the, the big surprise package in this. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would agree that I don't think Bath are necessarily the strongest team left in the competition. But as you say, because they, this is probably their best way back into the Champions Cup if they win it. That probably makes them a lot more dangerous than other teams. Just, just to quickly look back again at the Quinns game, one of the things that impressed me most, and you can agree or disagree with this if you want, was how much the pack stepped up. Now, look, you're playing against a pack that had two England under-20 locks. They didn't have Will Evans. They didn't have Alex Dombrand, no Joe Marler, no Wilco Lowe. So they are missing a lot of uh, a lot of star power there. But given how Ulster went against Gloucester the last time they played in England and they were beaten up black and blue at, at the mall, it was very impressive to see how much of a marker they laid down in the forwards, I thought. But, you know, feel free to agree or disagree with that if you want. I wouldn't read too much into that, quite honestly. Um, I really wouldn't. Um, sorry, they did do well, but you've already you've already sort of answered your question by pointing out who they were playing against. Um, also, the scrums, which have been under pressure in recent times, came under no pressure whatsoever, which I think as well is an indicator of the quality of the opposition, even though they, they theoretically... You know, the props weren't too bad for Harlequins. This is totally different now. This is a completely different animal. If, if Northampton picks something equating to a strong team, this will be a very different matter indeed. And there's no way Ulster will find things just so easy up front. And that is the area that we'd be most concerned about, naturally enough. Um, so that, that would be my take on it anyway. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, 
you know, I thought the front row played particularly well, but they they weren't up against anything of of, of major note. Um, I mean, they had a, I mean, their scrum was a hundred percent success. Was the return from the scrums what you what you would expect in that situation? And I think, as Michael alludes to, there Northampton will provide a much stiffer test and a better examination of where they are in, in the pack. It looks like Paul Hill will come back in, given the fact that he did the press he did the presser yesterday with Saints. Um, and I suppose. I suppose we have to wait and see what type of team Northampton will put out this weekend, but you can be sure it'll be it'll be quite near to the team that they would be putting out in the Premiership the following weekend because that's what the teams tend to do or certainly did in in the past in Europe. Um, so. No, I was just going to ask you: Is Dan Bigger likely to be coming back? Do we know? They didn't give an awful lot away yesterday on it. They just yeah. said there were a few guys coming off the table. Um, and that was it. But I, I, I'm only making reference to Paul Hill because of the fact that he was on, yeah. he was on the thing and I spoke to him and I know that he's likely, well, I suppose it could be one like Ulster put players up for, for interview and, the, and, and they never uh, play for two weeks later. Um, oh, yeah. given, given Dan Bigger hasn't played for Northampton since the end of the Six Nations, I don't think it, it might be one where you want to get him back in for a game before going back into the Premiership. Just you know, one of those one of those ones where you don't want him sitting for too long, but at the but, same time, he might be a guy who can step back in, having had a few weeks off. Yeah, well, it, again, this is the, the interesting thing about it, isn't it? Because even at this stage last week, we were still wondering what, what way Harlequins would mix and match, and then we saw what they did. You know, um, we shall see. Watch this space, I suppose. And I think Michael. I as you say, that if you compare the two games, you look at where Northampton were in that match. And I mean, they had 13 players at one stage on the pitch. Um, they did, yeah. They've, they've had a real good test before they come into a quarterfinal, whereas Ulster have had it relatively easy. And, you know, you kind of wonder how much is that taken out of Saints and if they are able to strengthen their side. Now, the Dragons, okay, you can ex- When I saw the team list announced on Friday, I kind of thought, well, the Dragons could surprise somebody here. Mm. Um, mm. And, and when you saw the halftime score, you kind of thought, yeah, there's a fair chance it might happen. Um, but okay, it transpired it didn't. So it'll be interesting to see what Northampton can bring with them out of that if they strengthen their side. And I think it all comes down to the fact that Ulster are going to have a much t- tougher examination this weekend. Yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting that Quinns or sorry Saints were 15 points down with 20 minutes to play. If you didn't have any designs on winning this competition, it would be very easy just to okay give it show that you are still trying to make the game a contest. But you know from that position, you could easily just throw it away because you didn't really care. The fact that they showed the resilience to come back and win it, you know there there are guys in that squad who are really playing for positions and. Clearly, they want to win this competition. So you've at least got evidence that Saints are going to put up a good fight this weekend at the very least, even if they don't bring the likes of Bigger and other guys. Like, And I know Laws is injured, but they didn't play Ludlam or uh, Tom Wood last week. So there's a good chance that they will <clears throat> at least put up a fight this week. Yes, I think you're absolutely right there, Adam. There was a bit of pride in the jersey going on there with Northampton and certainly Phil... Dawson yesterday referred to it and said that the, the character came through in the side and he expects that to continue from now to the end of the season. He said if you could put a if you could get a template of it, 
you would want that to work every week for you. Not maybe as uh, as anxious or dramatic, but uh, certainly there's a template that they can make there going forward. Those last 20 minutes, as you said. Yeah, I think he'd be he'd happily trade that in for a comfortable 10-point win that doesn't have that kind of drama at the end. We've kind of addressed this. Philip Totten asks, given the fact that Northampton are only four points off the top four in the Premiership, what are the chances of them taking a similar approach to Harlequins? I, th- I think we've answered that, So, um, but just to note the fact that Philip asked that. Um, looking at the Ulster team a little bit closer, Cormac has a Chukwu limps off last week. Ian Henderson is still a doubt. Big Jim asks on Twitter, is there a solution to our lack of fit second rows problem? Who Who's next off the line for Ulster? Who do they bring in that second row? Like Assuming that Alan O'Connor and Kieran Treadwell start again, who's your backup second row? Well, do we know where Dave O'Connor is in relation to his injury? For Dave, instance? Dave O'Connor had shoulder surgery and is out for surgery, the rest of the so He's gone, yeah, isn't he? That leaves mm-hmm. you with Matty Ray. He hasn't played second row since yeah, unless, his school days, I think. Unless Sam Carter is can come back in some way, and of course Hendy could come back. We we, we don't know. We weren't even sure last week mm. if Hendy was going to be out. We didn't know for sure until we saw the team. So we don't know how long Sam Carter is out for, and we don't know how long Hendy's out for. But you know, either one of them could turn up uh, potentially in this twenty-three. Um, but if they don't, and Cormac is a who's out too, you are now you are now really you know digging down into into guys now covering second row, you know assuming they wouldn't promote McManaman, who's essentially a sub academy player straight into a senior team. That would be a heck of a bad. It certainly would, them. wouldn't it? <laughs> I can't think of any other solution. Can you, Rick? No, I think we're we're out of second rows, aren't we? Yeah, we are. You're you're kind of looking to your back row to see who could maybe slot in there just to do a job. Um, Hendy now was with the team last weekend and was running about during the warm-ups and whatnot. But obviously, it's a shoulder injury, so therefore, it's how much impact can you take on that as to whether or not um, you want to play him? And do you not risk him in in case you're making semi-finals and a final in this competition? but it's a tricky one, and it's funny, you know, we look at the strength and depth, and we quite often feel Ulster are looking good at times, and then all of a sudden we get a situation now where, oh, with no second rows. I mean, Michael, you played second row in your time at school and whatnot, didn't you? Oh, that was so long ago, uh, it was black and white footage, if anyone had ever come near. You know? <laughs> Not that anyone did. Anyway, well, are you suggesting that at 56 there might be some sort of opportunity here? Yeah, I think there. I think there could. You know, why not make a wee comeback for a wee? A wee... I, I keep. I keep your phone on just in case. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that'd be a very good idea. Somehow or other, <laughs> from, from any perspective at all, anyone's perspective. But it, it is. It is an important position because you know scrummaging is a very important factor. Lineout works a very important factor. And I, I mean, I suppose you know if they really had to. Craig Jones might have a crack at it as well. But look, as we said before, we're, we're digging down into back rowers being converted in to, mm. to locks. Um, but, you know, I have a sneaking feeling that if they think Handy could take it, they might try him on the basis that uh, when the semifinals aren't for a few weeks, sure they're not. That's right. Yeah. They, have a week, they have a whole week to wait. You know, 
Um, well, look, you know, it's, it's a huge gamble. There are all sorts of other considerations. It's a very hard thing to know, isn't it? But if, as we assume, that the Saints are going to put it up to them a bit, would you not want to try to get your very best team out if you thought if you thought you could? It's, yeah. a, it's a very difficult one to weigh up, isn't it? A doomsday scenario, let's say Handy's not fit, Carter's not fit, Izzichikwe's not fit, and we know Dave O'Connor's not fit. Rasem Matty Ray to the bench probably as, as the backup second row <laughs> more than likely I, I, I can't yeah. I, I'm, unless I'm missing something I can't think of anybody else really don't think there is no no well, Ray, Ray I think Ray I think started at lock in the most recent day friendly against was that monster that's, that's, so that's, I think, that's I think sort of an indication that they're maybe trying out. to uh, last time put him there as, as someone who can play Masters week but like, in we'll a quarter final wait and see uh, what the team is like this week they play Northampton in a European quarterfinal and a Masters week. What what do we think? How obviously a lot depends on the team that Northampton put out, but let's act on the on the assumption that they are going to go a bit fuller strength than they were last week. Do we think Ulster have enough to overcome Northampton at Franklin's Gardens? I think Ulster have to go out and show like we're up to, to win this Challenge Cup and no matter what is put in front of us, we have a job to do and we have got to replicate everything that we did last week and do some things a wee bit better. Um, we know we're going to have probably a stiffer examination this weekend, um, but they need to put down a marker to show and they need to make a statement again. Look, we're taking this serious. We're going. We're going for broke here. We're chasing a trophy. Let's continue to make that statement. I would love to be at the end of this year going to a European Cup final, wherever it may be. And I think as Stuart McCluskey COVID said COVID permitting. Yes, <laughs> COVID permitting, yes. I think as Stuart McCluskey said yesterday during his interview, you know, it is the Challenge Cup, but it's Europe. And it is Europe they're playing in. And I think this is an opportunity Ulster cannot let, let go by. They will get a tight against... Um, Northampton this weekend. I I fully expect them to be stronger. When you mentioned the Masters, are you referring to the 2012-2013 season, mm-hmm. Adam, or was it? I uh, yep. When when they lost ten yeah. nine at home, haven't haven't absolutely hoped. hoped oh well, no. Uh, sorry, sorry. I was referring to the quarterfinal in Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes. Yes, that was before that. Yep. 2011. Yeah. 2011. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, because they obviously met in the pool stages when Ulster went mm. to Franklin's Gardens, and I think it was 25-7. They won quite comfortably and then got beaten at home 10-9. Yeah. yeah. Northampton have been a bit of a bogey team for Ulster. Now, not, not in the sense that Ulster always lose to them or anything like that, but, you know, first quarter final in however long it was in Europe, they get beaten by Northampton. Unbeaten to start that season, that 2012-2013 season, beat Northampton away, and then Northampton beat them at Ravenhill to end their unbeaten season and effectively cost them a home quarter final at the end of that year. Northampton have been a team that Ulster have, at really random moments, come unstuck against, which <laughs> I think is quite strange for a team that they haven't actually played that often. Yeah, um, true. Um and of course, that quarterfinal at Multi Kings was probably one that Ulster should have won. I remember Adam Darcy dropping a pass whenever it looked like he was cleaning the corner. 
And that was the turning point in the game from that, mm-hmm. you know, he looked, I, I, to be fair, yeah, and you're right, um, I mean, Phil, Phil Dawson played in those games and, 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 and he gave a great recap of, of, of the experiences. And it was interesting, he said, you know, one thing, it's a real shame is that players aren't able to enjoy European moments like that back in 2011 and 2012 and 13, the, the crack they had when they came to Belfast and won and that type of thing. And it is a real shame. And it's a pity that it's a, a, a European quarterfinal tie <clears> and uh, very few people are going to enjoy it, except on TV. Michael, how, how do you see this one going? Do you think Ulster will come out on top? Uh, well, it, it, it's, an, you know, it's in rocket science, is it? But I, they, they've, got to, they've got to win up front. I mean, that's really where um, their game plan could unravel if they can't uh, match Northampton and live with them up front, if they can't live with them in the scrums, if they can't get the line-out more going and things go a bit awry in that department. In any... Anywhere else, I think they they definitely have the personnel, the ability, the skill level to 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 do it. But that is the key, and we don't know who's going to be. Oh, well, we, sorry, I was going to say we don't know who's going to be in the second row. We don't know if Ian Henderson's going to make it or not. That's absolutely critical, and um, we don't know as well what Northampton are going to necessarily put up against them. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, as Richard said, this. You know, it often used to be said, oh, well, wouldn't Ulster get in the Challenge Cup? Then they'd, they'd probably go and win it. And people would go, oh, I don't want to go into that. I don't want to do that. Look, we're at the point now. We've had no silverware since 2006. The, the other Irish provinces have all managed it since. And, you know, <laughs> Munster be getting a hard time because they haven't in, what, 10 years? But look at Ulster's situation. Um, this is... Yes, this is an opportunity. I think if they get over Northampton and Franklin's Gardens, um, I think it's 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 on. The, this to me seems to be the, the the major the major hurdle. I think at the moment, of course, it's the major hurdle because the next game they always are. But I think this psychologically is enormously important for them. I I think they've got to try and win this trophy. They have just got to. What was it? Dan McFarland said we haven't got a monkey on our back, or he hadn't. No, maybe he, he hasn't. He doesn't want to carry everyone else's monkey. No, he doesn't. But, I mean, this is the situation we're in now. It's a ludicrous amount of time when you consider some of the sides that Ulster put out before, and it very much gives the impression that they just can't do it. So wouldn't it be terrific if, you know, it could be done? And in this situation, with the way things are potentially opening up, it can be. So, sorry, I'm evading an answer here, really, aren't I? (laughs) I I just don't know is the short answer to it. I don't know what Northampton will bring to this, and I'm not sure what Ulster will bring to it. But to me, the vital components of this game are what will go on in the front five. Absolutely. And if Ulster are in any way found out in that area, then they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think, Michael, the other thing, and you mentioned it earlier, but they will be under the cosh more in this game. And it's, you know, defensively, I thought Ulster dealt with things. Uh, they, I know they, they let in three tries, but um, d- defensively, they were very solid last week. And they're going to be tested more. And, and I think... Harlequins had we had tiny tiny little purple patches that okay they scored a try off one when Jordy Murphy got yellow carded, but it's how they deal with Northampton because Northampton will have longer purple patches and will really put them under scrutiny. And Michael, as I said last week, the, this is the the year of the pandemic, unfortunately, and Ulster have found themselves in the Challenge Cup. We would be having a different conversation if Ulster were playing in next season's Challenge Cup 
having finished sixth in the Pro 14 this season. And I think this is this is such a golden opportunity to go and win a trophy. I totally agree with what you said. It's it's on this weekend, and if they get over the hurdle this weekend, and I I expect they will beat Northampton Saints. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do a scoreline forecast this time. Um, I mean. I got a bit Why, of what did you say? Out. What did you say for Harlequins? What did you say? I, said Har- I actually thought if Harlequins went full strength, they would win maybe 32-28, you know, which, yeah, yeah. And of course, having made the declaration about the DPP programme and my son, everybody thought I was actually a Quins fan, but that, that really wasn't the case. Um, but um, I've got over that one. Um, but I I think Ulster will squeeze through this weekend and it, it, might be more, it might be more comfortable maybe than you think. Well, there we go. Um, I'm going to hold off on giving a prediction because I'm the host this week and I can, I can make that call. <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can follow all the action on the Belfast Telegraph website. I will be live blogging the game on Saturday at 8 p.m. Thank goodness it's not Sunday at 8 p.m. Whoever decided that was a good kickoff time needs to have a stern word. Um, but yes, you can follow all the action on the Belfast Telegraph website. So between our Zoom calls, Richard revealed that he uh, he made a bit of a mistake with his with his tea. Richard, would you like to explain to the people what happened and why we were a bit late coming back after our Zoom break? Yeah, I, I unfortunately ran out of sugar and uh, I went to the cupboard and it wasn't bare. There was stuff in it. And uh, I thought I was putting some sugar in my tea. And as I sat down to join you guys, I discovered that I had mistakenly put salt in my tea. I, I blame my wife for not labeling the jar correctly. Um, but I managed to find some sugar and we're okay again. I have my tea and all is good. We were worried you just left us and we'd have to have that awkward explanation halfway through the podcast of why Richard just suddenly disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be fair, salt, salt in the tea would be an acceptable reason just for wanting yeah. not to do anything for the rest of the day. Um, a few listener questions for us to finish this week's episode. Uh, we start with Peter Gray, just following on a bit from what we have been talking about. He asks, is the Challenge Cup more important than the Rainbow Cup? Yeah, um, I think it's a fairly easy one. The Challenge Cup is more important than the Rainbow Cup, in my opinion. Um, it's hard to get enthusiastic about the way the Rainbow Cup fixtures have come out. Um, and we know that it's three interprovincial derbies to start with and derbies for the other sides. Um, and then Ulster will get to play one South African side in Belfast probably. And uh, that'll be hit. Um, I think the Challenge Cup is about Ulster going gung-ho with their full squad to win a trophy. I think as we talked about last week, um, the Rainbow Cup is about giving the opportunity to those players on the periphery to experience, it is basically knockout rugby to a degree because there only are six matches and um, if you lose one of them, you won't be in the final, I would uh, suspect. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to, to, to give guys who have who have shown up this season already, but to give them a run of games, see how they go, because fingers crossed, there's an exciting Pro 16 coming down the line and uh, the South Africans are going to add to that. But... You know, if Ulster don't win the challenge, if, I mean, if Ulster go out of the Challenge Cup this weekend, maybe the Rainbow Cup does take on a bit more importance. We're, we're chasing silverware. Michael, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think it's, it's whatever competition's in front of you, to be honest with you. And at the moment, it's the Challenge Cup, and that has to be the priority. Um, if they go out of it, yeah, then they, naturally the Rainbow Cup then emerges as the next competition. I don't think they'll win the Rainbow Cup. I really don't. But you don't know what, what will happen when we get to that point. Um, this is their best chance. It's a decent enough shot at it. It is the priority. You want to be crowned Kings of Europe, and you don't really care whether it's the Champions or the Challenge Cup. It is what it is. You're a European champion, and that'll do very nicely. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's important. Like both competitions are important, but for much different reasons. Similar to what Richard was saying, you know, the Challenge Cup is important for winning. The Rainbow Cup is important for development because we've seen how Ulster have brought through a lot of guys this season, and I think you need to extend that in the Rainbow Cup by giving them plenty of time to sort of say, you know, looking into next season, because that's the competition that will sort of finish closest to next season. But the Challenge Cup is more important from a winning perspective. So, yeah, uh, to kind of answer the question, I would say the Challenge Cup is more important than the Rainbow Cup, but they do still hold great significance in completely different regards, um, is how I put it. Yep, I agree. And our final question comes from Donal O'Reilly, who got in very early this week because he was very worried about what, were we going to miss his questions. So thanks for getting in early, Donal. Um, he asks, is a sevens revolution the next step in creating creative, athletic, and skillful players? Now, we've seen for Ulster that Cormac Azachukwu, Robert Balakoon, Nick Timoney have come through the sevens system. I know for Ireland that Hugo Keenan, Shane Daly have come through the sevens system as well. Will Connors, I think, played sevens too. So how important is sevens now to the development of players? And is it somewhere that you guys feel like Ireland and Ulster should be looking more to bring guys in through and from? I remember many years ago talking, watching the World Series and, and, and the Sevens tournaments. And I mean, Ulster and Ireland would have played in tournaments now and again. But I mean, Ireland would have played in the European finals and that type of thing just to, to play in the set. And I was saying, we really should be having a regular contribution to sevens rugby at world international level and we've shown it um you've seen those uh, you, you've named a few players and i mean robert balakun you know emma skillen Towns cup final sevens rugby international stage and now he's knocking on the door of the international senior side at ireland so i i think sevens rugby is something that should be invested in we called for that a way back. They've started to go forward with that, but I know now that you know the money's not as available as it was, and that could have a big factor on it. But I think yes, sevens rugby hones skill sets, the basic skills that you have, and uh, it's definitely something that it, it it needs to be looked at again. And I think it needs to be a real serious serious thought going forward to. Ireland competing at the top level in sevens rugby. The, th the thing that always stood out for me about Robert Balakoon was how quickly he settled in defensively with Ulster. And I think that's down to the sevens aspect where you have to make your one-up tackles in sevens. If you miss a tackle, then that's instantly a line break that will likely lead to a try. Whereas in 15s, if you miss a tackle, you, you at least have guys covering in behind who... You know, if, if you miss a tackle in your own 22, it's not going to be a try at the other end. Someone's going to cover. But in sevens, if you miss a tackle, 
like even on your own try line, or sorry, at, at the opposite end of the pitch, <laughs> there's a good chance the guy will go in and score a try off the back of that. So it, it's a good it's a good proving ground for guys to show that they have the basic skills and then you can hone specific areas whenever they get to the 15s level and you maybe bring them into the academy or bring them into your senior squad and that's the point where you can start really drilling down because I know they talked about whenever Cormac as a chick came to came to Ulster first they really had to teach him how to jump up the line out and they really had to teach him you know mm-hmm. some of the basics of second row work but that that's something you know that you add on to the fact that he has that athletic ability, that really strong carrying ability that they want in a second row. So yeah, I think seven seems like a very good place to kind of learn your craft first. And then you can take that into the 15s game. Michael, what are your thoughts? It was one of David Lucifer's plans anyway, to try and involve Aaron Moore in it. It doesn't work for everybody though. I mean, we, we, we always thought Aaron Sexton would come flying through, didn't we? And um, we haven't really seen him. Uh, we haven't really seen him break through as yet, but there are plenty of other players who've done it. We seem to have come through and settled well into the professional game. So hopefully, uh, look, I, the point has been made already. The, you know, the pandemic will, will, have, will have affected the funding going towards it and what, what Ireland do or do not do in, in relation to it. But uh, it is it is an interesting aspect to it now that you're getting these guys popping up. So um, it will be very, very interesting to see if Sevens does remain on the agenda or whether it kind of, it, it sort of ebbs away now because of the, of the funding issues. But like I say, it does work for some, but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. If we've been talking even eight, nine, eight, nine months ago, even before the pandemic, we would, have always, we would have thought Aaron Sexton would have nailed his senior place by now on the Ulster mm-hmm. team. He hasn't. We would never have predicted some of the guys who have come through who've been exposed to it. So uh, it's obviously valuable, isn't it? There is so many guys on the peripheries of their provinces and, and, and things that maybe don't get the game time that they could get. And sevens is maybe a way of, I know you take them out of it for a year, but I think just the, basically what Michael and yourself have said there, the, honing the skills that, that they can means they come back into that provincial setup much better and ready to go to the next step, you know, and it doesn't, it's not lessening what you're there for. It's just improving your own game. And I think one of the things is that it can work the other way as well, you know, where guys can maybe impress at sevens, go to the 15s, and if 15s doesn't work for them, you can go back down to the sevens. Because, like, Billy Dardis was one who, I think, started in sevens, tried to make it with Leinster, didn't didn't quite make the cut, but he's gone back to sevens and he's been great for them again. So, um, and we've seen Graham Curtis now has gone from the Ulster Academy into the Ireland sevens setup. So, you know, there's there's opportunities for guys to almost say, all right, you didn't quite make the cut at fifteens, but drop back down to sevens, and if you show up well with the sevens, you can try your hand again at the fifteens. So, you'd really like to hope that the the system doesn't go away like Ireland have done so well to get into the World Series rotation you know they've only been in for a couple of years but we've seen so many uh, impressive performances from them you know Jordan Conroy is one of the best finishers in the entire tournament let alone for Ireland so it'd be great to see that the the Ireland Sevens 
programme would be maintained even post-pandemic. So before we go, just time to turn our eyes to the international scene because Ireland women kick off their uh, Six Nations campaign this weekend. Uh, it's on Friday night against Wales. Richard, what do, what do we make of Ireland's chances in the Six Nations? It's been a, it's been a long time since the girls have, have played. I think it's probably last October, isn't it, maybe? I'm not mm. sure. But um, this is a revamped competition due to the COVID situation. I'm glad that it is taking place. Um, Catherine has been very impressive, as you say, at, at Scrum Half and I think Adam Griggs will have certainly worked hard with them. There's a good positivity coming out of the camp at the moment. They play Wales. Wales got an absolute thrashing against France at the weekend. England also won too. England and France are the standard bearers in this competition. There's no doubt about it. That's where you want to get to. Are Ireland at that level yet? Probably, probably not, but they can put a marker down against Wales this weekend and, um, and hopefully they're in the best place they can be. And uh, it would be great to see the girls in green getting, getting a winning start. Yes, it's, it's quite tough for the Ireland women because they're coming up against England, who are now all full-timers. And I think France are sort of moving towards that. I'm not sure if they're all full-timers yet, but they're certainly moving their, their way towards that. But... We do wish all the best to uh, all the Ulster girls in it. Claire Bowles, Brittany Hogan and Neve Jones are also in the squad from an Ulster perspective. So all the best to them as they kick off against Wales on Friday. I think just on the format of the competition, just to explain to listeners that it's in two groups. Um, Ireland are in with um, France and Wales. and You expect France to finish top of the group. So the two group winners play each other in the final and then the two runners-up play each other for their equivalent places and so forth. So at worst, you would like to think Ireland will be playing for third and fourth place playoff. And I think that would be that would be a very reputable finish for them. And that give it, given all the all the stuff that had to go on in order to get this going ahead, you know, it's good that the tournament is going ahead because normally the women's Six Nations would obviously be played in parallel with the men's Six Nations, but it's been pushed back and they've obviously had the world cup postponed as well because of COVID. So it's good that the women are getting a chance to play. There should be some really good rugby on offer uh, over the next few weeks. So uh, make sure you tune into that. Guys, that is all the time that we have this week. Thank you very much for joining me, Richard, before we let you go, any picks for the masters? Is Rory going to do it this time? I think Rory's going to do it this time. Let's let's give our Northern Ireland man a wee a wee shout out. You know, I think he's going to do it. I always hope he's going to do it. It's it, and and you know what? It would be just like him to do it this year, the year where everyone thinks he's not going to do it because he's changed coach and all that. But yeah, that it, well, no, secretly I'm hoping he doesn't do it this this year because I want to go back and I feel like if he. If he's won it, I won't be asked to go back next year. So, <laughs> so Rory, we'd love for you to do it, but secretly, if you could hold off a year and do it next year, that would be a lot better. <laughs> Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, guys. Good to see you both again. And uh, let's hope for an Ulster and a Rory McIlroy success this weekend and Ireland in the, in, mm. in the Women's Six Nations. Michael, have you got any selections for the Masters? 
Uh, not really, no. I'll go with... Uh, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's go with uh, Let's go with Rory. Why not? Let's go with Rory. And um, Ulster get out of Franklin's Gardens with a win as well. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? So why not? Yeah, let's go with it. And Ireland as well. I'll do it. Ireland women to win as well. And Leinster. Don't forget about Leinster. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got a full, full house here. Full house. Michael, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much to all of you for listening at home. Stay safe. And here's to an Ulster win, an Ireland win, a Rory McIlroy win, and a Leinster win this weekend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.